Hey, I'm Robert Pearson, and this is Follow the Leader. And we're doing another Blue Collar Bible Scholar video today. The study today is theology. And I want to clarify again, almost my entire channel, the goal is to simply give you a starting point to research a lot of the deeper nuance yourself. Uh, I will I will pick certain specific topics to do a little more uh, deeper dives on. But I, I really want to feel like I've gotten all of the basics down, which is going to be a while. Um, I want at least one video given a general intro to all the books of the Bible and to a lot of the main fields of study for the uh, for theology and Bible study in general. I just kind of give everybody who uh, who watches these a good footing and a good foundation for how to uh, how to dig into the deeper things of God. And how to uh, how to really search and find your own answers, not in yourself in the Bible, um, but find your answers in the Bible for yourself. Uh, pastors should be there as guides along the road. They shouldn't be feeding us the answers. They should be showing us how to find the answers on our own. And uh, I, I can use shoulds and generalities a lot. The honest answer is most pastors are struggling to uh, do the people work. They're building relationships. They're praying for people. They're visiting people in hospitals. They're visiting shut-ins in the church. They, they have a lot going on. And so, I mean, I'm not to put all this on pastors, but just the church as a body has put a lot of a uh, large burden on the average pastor. And, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Anyway, my attempt to work on this is to do this. So, theology. Once again, this is going to be a general overview. I'm going to cover a lot, and I'm going to leave a lot out. But this is just so you can start to wrap your brain around the basics of what the word theology means, what it refers to, and to know that there's a deeper rabbit hole. All I'm doing is I'm pointing out rabbit holes right now. Uh, there may come a time where I'll take like one video a week and just pick one rabbit hole and just show you how I now apply how I go down this rabbit hole. Uh, but I, I want to start doing some original language stuff first. Right now we're doing basics and I'm not getting into original language. It's only got so many hours in a day. I'm working on it though. That's the goal. We're moving. Moving. Ever forward. So theology. The word is what it means. We always steal our English words from uh, Greek, Latin, and German, more or less, and uh, French, if it sounds cool. Yeah, but we're fairly laissez-faire about it. The word theology is from the two Greek words theos and logos. So logos means a word, a message, a piece of information, or a logical arrangement of ideas. It gets thrown around a lot. I can also just mean a word as in an individual written word, as opposed to a spoken word, which is rhema. There's a lot of stuff going on with Greek words. Uh, but the word logos has to do with logic and structure and arrangement. It's where we get the word logic from, even. Uh, but a, a very specific, intentional arrangement. And generally, when you see the ology on the end of a word, it means study of. So, theos is the word for God, or a God, in Greek. So, theology, theos, logos, 
the study of God. Pretty straightforward, right? Just like uh, archaeology, arche, old, logos, study of, archaeology, study of old stuff. It works for every word. Biology, bios, meaning life, as in uh, meat bag, life, not, uh, I'm sorry, I hit the mic. Not like life, the ethereal, but actual like rabbits are alive, birds are alive, life, bios, the earthly life, and logos, study of, study of life, biology. Astrology, right? Astro, stars, ology, logos, study of stars. And it goes on and on. Uh, I, I, astronomy is, um, though it's supposed to be, astrology is supposed to be the study of stars, but it got stolen by a bunch of kooky occult people, and so they took astronomy, which is um, astronomos, the nomos being law, star law study, study of the, the laws or rules of the stars. Think Kepler and the way the stars move. Astronomy. Or, uh, sorry, Logos, there's no ology in it. Yeah, astronomy. Naming and study of... Uh... It's been a while since I looked at it. But anyway, they had to switch it up. Astronomy? Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm driving in the rain. There's a little, some divided attention going on. So, in looking at the study of God, it's a big field. So, being more specific, we're looking at Christian theology. So I'm going to do a really cursory overview of the history of theology. Philosophy is arguably the earliest form of theology. Because if you if you even read summaries of Plato and Aristotle, they're looking for God. They're looking for a, a logic or a framework or an entity that's behind everything. All of existence. They're, they keep looking and going, ever, all of this, too much of it makes sense. What is the thing that makes sense behind it all? That's Aristotle's unmoved mover. Which is a, a phrase you can Google and, and read the Wikipedia on. But basically, he thought up an idea of God just by looking at and observing the world around him. Uh, the idea that nothing moves without something moving it. There's no energy without another energy source, right? You don't wake up in the morning unless you eat food. That food doesn't grow unless it takes energy from the sun. The sun doesn't burn unless it's fusing hydrogen atoms together to make helium. The, none of that starts unless something starts the fusion reaction. Where does that come from? He doesn't talk about fusion, but that's the idea. All energy comes from other energy. So there has to be a source of energy outside of that to provide it. Something that moves that is not moved itself by other things. The unmoved mover. Now he just ends really quickly describing uh, a narcissistic god turning a crank on a jack-in-a-box universe. But he's heading in the right direction. Plato got obsessed with forms and talking about caves and chairs. I don't know. Uh... He was headed in the right direction, at least. So, in uh, Christianity, very early on, you have people discussing the nature of God, the nature of Christ, the nature of Christian thought very, very early. 
The Nicene Creed is one of the earliest uh, written, everybody agreed upon doctrinal statements. You know, everybody. Obviously, the, uh, not the Nestorians, the Arians got kicked out because they didn't agree on it. And uh, that was the opposing faction in the, the Nicene Creed. There were people that said Jesus was a created being. And the rest of the church said, uh, no, you're wrong. And now we'll write a statement that says, yeah, these guys are wrong. We'll make it official. You're officially wrong now. Instead of just being actually wrong. And uh, in, that, in that, the Nicene Creed was fairly general. And it really specifically dealt with just what they were dealing with. Which was saying, God is in charge of everything. He's the only one true God. His son, Jesus, was, uh, is eternal, came to earth. A real person in history. There's a specific mention of Pontius Pilate because of that. Uh, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and gives us hope of mercy for sins and resurrection from death. And uh, the Holy Spirit, he's awesome too. He's there too. And they, they give you the whole shebang, and that's it. No, it doesn't really go beyond that. And so, but as the years go by, people argue about more and more things. And it's a, at this point now, what? More than 2,000-year-old conversation. Well, it would be 2,000 years even in uh, another 10 years or so. You know, Jesus lived and died in uh, 30 to 33 A.D., was his ministry, obviously, he was born a little before that. So, 2030 will be a clean 2,000 years after 2030 to 2033 will be a clean 2,000 years after Jesus. Give or take. And the conversation has been going on for a very long time between Christians. And so we've systemized uh, language so we can talk about aspects of that conversation that have gotten very detailed and very involved throughout those hundreds and thousands of years. And so we we're looking at it, the, the word theology was just so you can easily wrap your head around, oh, we're talking about the details, the nuance. You know, yes, you know how to drive a car, good job. Let's pop the hood and talk about what these things do. Okay. Um, real quick, too, I want to explain. I, outside of the person and work of Jesus Christ and the uh, God being the one and only true God and the Holy Spirit being a real and active person of the Holy Trinity, outside of that, I do not believe your individual theology affects your salvation. Once again, with the understanding that Jesus came in the flesh and died for our sins. He was the eternal, uncreated member of the Godhead, however that works. There's only the one true God who is uh, Adonai, the Yahweh, God of the Hebrew. And uh, Jesus, after leaving, sent his uh, sent the Holy Spirit. However that works. We have the Holy Spirit now. Rock on. And uh, Jesus came, was a physical man on this earth with our limitations, died and was raised again on the third day and said, alright guys, tell everybody and split, and he's going to show up one day, and it'll be awesome 
Like that's that's the basic framework. And you'll find any sect of what claim what you know, any sect that claims to be Christian and all of evangelical Christianity will tell you as a cult, they disagree on one of those fundamental tenets. And that's what makes them a a cult. Uh I'll do one on I'll do one of these on on cults. I can't remember the guy's name, but the the book is titled Kingdom of the Cults. It's a really good primer. Uh, There's some some nuance with it that people object over, but as far as being a good overview, it's like a phone book of the occult. It's it's pretty thorough, and it's kind of the gold standard uh, in in that field. But it's it's a reference book. It's not something you'd sit down and read. It's something you'd go, oh, I wonder if they're a cult. You look it up, and he'd give you a little primer and, and some of the tenets. Uh, he is wrong about Seventh-day Adventists, though. They are a cult. Uh, he doesn't think they are. Or he, he gives them a real soft pass. But uh, the, the hardcore, using the historical uh, theological tenets of the Seventh-day Adventist circle. Uh, long, long tangent. Don't worry about it. So, in theology, we have several areas of theology that have to do with aspects of the Christian experience and of the world around us that we try to understand through a religious lens. And so, these things are, they of course have their own fancy names. Because it it gets long and involved when you're writing a book to constantly say, the study and understanding of how you read the Bible and interpret what you read there and then apply it to your life, it's easier to say hermeneutics. Quick side note, my entire video is wrong. I confused the word homiletics with hermeneutics for a whole video, and I didn't catch it. I retitled it and fixed the, the description, but it's it exists in the ether of the internet now. Homiletics is the study of how you preach from the Bible. How should we preach from the Bible? Homiletics. Hermeneutics is how you study and read the Bible. Hermeneutics, how you read. Homiletics, how you teach. These big fancy words are obnoxious. Homiletics is how you preach. Is it inductive? Is it deductive? Is it is exegetical? Is it eisegetical? Do you use the Old Testament stories as allegory? Or are they... I don't... It's, it's all homiletics. When you're reading it, and you're using the history and the grammar, or you're using some weird, aloof, allegorical reading, comparing it with Pinocchio. That's all hermeneutics. Yeah, that was an intentional jab at Jordan Peterson. That guy's a moron. He's a really smart moron. Alright, so hermeneutics is how you read the Bible. Um, A lot of people believe a lot of different things. If Christ offers you hope of forgiveness of sins and a resurrection from the dead, you have to read the Bible as historically accurate, and then you care about the grammar of the language it's written in. I'm not going to cover a lot of the other ones. That's the word. I'll put these words down in the description for this one, so that we have, uh, so that you can you can know the exact spelling. I won't, I won't do the spelling early. So you'll know the spelling, so you can Google it and dig through. Remember, Wikipedia is a liberal, historical, critical, godless, atheist uh, website. So they're going to have that slant to the information they give you. If that's all you care about, that's fine. But it, 
if you believe the Bible is the true and inspired Word of God, just keep in the back of your head, Wikipedia is not trustworthy in that regard. They are godless atheists who write and edit those, and they always edit it to a godless atheist stance. Always. You know, unless it's Islam or one of the true religions or whatever, air quotes on true. Um, oh, man, it got stuck in my throat just trying to make the uh, sarcastic joke there. Um, so, hermeneutics, it's how you read the Bible. I'm a firm believer you should read it as historically accurate, written by the traditional authors, and then you strive to understand what the original authors intended based on the grammar of the language and your knowledge of history. That's my mileage. Your mileage may vary. Uh, but if it does, it's wrong. Uh, the next major camp I'm going to discuss, these aren't in any particular order, kind of, and, uh, and these are not, this is not a, a complete list. There's a lot other, a lot of other areas. These are the big ones that I think everybody should have mostly ironed out, even if it's like a, yeah, like a one sentence understanding of, about where you stand on it. So hermeneutics, how you read your Bible. Christology, right? Christ logos, study of Christ. Jesus. Who is Jesus, and what does his life and death and mean? Did he rise from the dead? All of it. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is he? What did he do while he was on this planet? What does his death mean? And did he come back from the dead? And if so, what does it mean? All of that is Christology. Once again, my mileage. I've said it a hundred times. He was a real flesh and blood human man. Born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit and God the Father somehow. The details are unimportant. Uh, for uh, in, in pragmatic, uh, in practical circumstances, it's, the details are unimportant. It's it's fun to speculate and, and conjecture, but largely unimportant. Born of a virgin, a real human man, born of the Holy Spirit of God. And he is our high priest of the order of Melchizedek. He understands all of our weaknesses, all of our flaws and temptations. And he lived a sinless and perfect life despite all of our flaws and temptations. And then, because he was sacrificed, he allowed himself to be sacrificed at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, both Jews and Gentiles. That was so that he can present his blood, a pure and holy sacrifice, in the tabernacle in heaven. And in that way, we are now free, and we can use his sacrifice to cover our sins. Because death is the punishment for sin, and he was punished unjustly, he received an infinite punishment for doing nothing. It was an infinite injustice. He can now apply the recompense for that. He was then brought back to life to re to fix that injustice. And now he can apply that, that uh, mercy that he received to anyone that he chooses, which is anyone that calls in the name of the Lord, anyone that uh, repents and is baptized and calls in the name of the Lord. All of those elements are in there. We can bicker over the nuance later. But Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. He actually had a physical, bodily resurrection. We see Him eating fish 
and uh, giving high fives. Uh, not not high fives. Thomas is like putting his hand inside of the wounds and stuff. But I imagine they high fived at least once. So that's that's Christology, though, right? Who is Jesus? What did he do? What does his death mean to you? And what does his resurrection mean? And have Bible verses for those, too. For all of that goes for, for me, my mileage, for all of this. I'm telling you, read your Bible, have Bible verses for these, okay? This is after you've read a lot, most of-ish, your Bible. You've got a good mental framework of what the story of the Bible is. The character and nature of Christianity. How all this stuff comes together. Start looking at all of the Bible verses that relate. And, and get your own footing on what verses convince you of what, right? Are you saved if you're not baptized? It's something that you should think about, you know? I'm, I'm not going to berate anybody either way. I am only going to challenge you because I think you should have read your homework also. And I expect you to challenge me if you think my homework is lacking, all right? And we're going to compare notes and we're going to argue and we'll push each other and, you know, maybe we're both wrong. I don't know. Uh, but I don't have a monopoly on truth, but I'm working on it. I, uh, the Bible has a monopoly on truth. God has a monopoly on truth. So I'm, I'm working to get there. And I just, when I run into other Christians, I just kind of poke them to see, are you guys working to get there too? That's what this is. So, Christology, right? We got the Bible. We got Jesus. Um, we've got hermeneutics. We've got uh, Christology. Hermeneutics is how you read the Bible, by the way. There's a whole bunch of other studies on is the Bible inspired and how it's inspired and fancy words for different kinds of plenary and inspiration or whatever. Um, I'm just starting at the assumption the Bible's inspired. So how are we going to read it and get the most out of it being an inspired book? So the next is that I'm going to mention, the next big category is ecclesiology, right? Church. What is your stance and understanding of church? How does it come together? What does the Bible say about Christians gathering? And how do Christians gather and what's going on with that? Now, even just a cursory glance at the New Testament, you'll find modern churches do not hold to the exact biblical New Testament pattern of church. How big of an issue that is depends on your reading of the Bible. Uh, I think it is an issue, and you should strive to find a church that is doing more than less. Uh, I will caution you, if you're looking to find the perfect church, you're not going to find it. If you ever do find the perfect church, do not attend, you'll ruin it. Because uh, there, there is no such thing. You try and find 80%, 90%. And uh, just build relationships. Or find a giant, faceless megachurch and build relationships with as many people as you can in it. And uh, assemble or attend and cultivate one of the small groups inside of that larger church. Because they've given you a format, they'll have resources. Um, and just a pragmatic note though, if you go to the pastor and say, hey we need to do X, you need to be prepared to lead X. Because that pastor has a lot on his plate. Whether he's doing it right or not, the man is trying and he's doing his best. And the church has finite resources. So if you say, hey, we need to do X, you better be willing to organize it. 
you better be willing to finance it or figure out how it can be financed. Then if it builds to a successful ministry, then you can start asking the pastor for more volunteers and more finances. But from an administrative standpoint, they have a lot going on, and it's unreasonable to expect them to change their world around this one Bible verse you read one time. Even though you're right and the pastor's wrong, there are institutional authorities at work, and it behooves you to understand all authority is given by God. And sometimes you have to bite your tongue and operate inside of an authority framework and affect change from the inside, and yes, it's going to take a while. Mother Teresa saw the Catholic Church had no presence, zero presence, inside of, um, I forget, Calcutta, the, the major, whatever the major city, the, the major metropolitan city in India is. I believe it's Calcutta. I'm not, I'm not an India expert. There was, there was very little presence, especially among the poor and needy. The Catholic Church basically buddied up against all of the rich, with all the rich people, the middle and upper class, and they just hung out and ran around and made everybody feel good and prayed for them and split. And she sees all of these poor people wallowing in squalor. She spent ten years faithfully writing letter after letter after letter after letter faithfully writing, praying, and writing letters and being told, yeah, yeah, well, later, okay, not a big deal now, but, but later, but later. And she she obeyed everything her the authorities put over her. I don't believe the Catholic Church is biblical. However, they have authority. She was operating inside of the authority framework that she had submitted herself to. And faithfully, for 10 years, wrote letters, quiet, patience, prayed. And in, after finally 10 years, they gave her permission to start her, uh, her order of nuns that were going to do uh, uh, take a vow of poverty and go into the inner cities and start ministering to poor people there. That's what Mother Teresa is known for is rolling up her sleeves and going elbow deep into squalor and poor places to do the work of Jesus. And God blessed her ministry and blessed what she did, I firmly believe because of her humility and her willingness to work inside of the authorities put over her. So they're not always good, they're not always godly, but all authority comes from God. How they use that authority is between them and God, not between me and God. That's It's on them how they do it. So, if you are coming to a larger, already established church, or you're a member of that church, just understand there are authority structures at work, and it behooves you to work inside of them. If you're a uh, burn it all and rebuild, that's fine. You're just going to have to do that at a different place in a different congregation. But, if you believe in your church, if you believe in the people at your church, hang in there, be willing to work in their authority structures. Anyway, big, massive side, side tangent. So, ecclesiology, though, is how... How is church, right? How to church? Do you have elders? Is there a board of elders? Do you have just one pastor and no elders? Do you have all elders and no pastor? Do you have how many elders? How many pastors? What does that do or how does that mean? What do you? What is the order of service, right? All of these little nuances, It's uh, there are biblical precedents for all of it and some of it is at your own discretion and the fact that it's at your discretion has a biblical foundation somewhere for somebody. And so ecclesiology is the study of that, right? 
And that's that's how that comes together. Uh, next, a uh, big one is missiology. Missions, right? Missions, logos. Yeah, we stopped using Greek. Missiology. And don't worry, the next one, we're back to two Greek words together. It's the missions, it's evangelism, it's the theological foundation for how you tell people about Jesus. If you believe that original sin robs man of free will, and you believe that it is thereby a work of the Holy Spirit and not a work of man's free will to become saved, uh, that Calvinist theological tenet results in a missiology that says, you just have to tell people about Jesus. If you just express the life and work of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will touch their heart. If he doesn't, they weren't meant to be saved and you move on to the next person. I'm not going to object to telling people about Jesus, but that's just the one example I have of how your other theological things and understandings can affect your missiology, right? There's a there's a biblical foundation for even how you tell people about Jesus. Once again, this stuff is not like shackles to put on a new believer. I'm just telling you these are your first steps into a larger world, okay? This world is out there. These conversations have been going on for almost 2,000 years now. We're about, 10, we're about a decade shy of 2,000 years. And so here are the words used to talk about these specific areas of this discussion and this conversation. And my goal is to simply equip you with the ammunition to kind of wade into this fight and find your place in it. Um, prayerfully read your Bible. You cannot go wrong with prayerfully reading your Bible. Uh, if you notice, Jewish rabbis and Catholic priests are the only ones that tell you, don't read your Bible, you need somebody smarter than you to tell you what it means. Um, that conversation between Ben Shapiro and whoever that Catholic uh, knucklehead was, was infuriating to me. For that exact reason. Because they both, oh yes, we both agree that you know any average rube can't just read their Bible. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's not like Jesus was a carpenter who had a bunch of fishermen friends. <laughs> oh, no! Guys. Guys! No. It's, it's incredibly important for you to read your Bible for yourself. So, moving on, the next big area is called soteriology. Greek word for salvation, Greek word for logos, right? Uh, well, a Greek, for, a Greek word for logic or arrangement or structure. The study of salvation. What are the details or the nuance of how we are saved? Once again, you don't have to understand soteriology to be saved. That's the beauty and simplicity of the gospel is it's uh oh somebody has a beautiful quote. I think it's C.S. Lewis about the uh, the gospel and the the Bible being this beautiful kiddie pool where you don't have to worry about drowning, but at the same time if you try, you will never find the bottom. Uh, I, I'll have to Google it or something. I, I can't remember now, but it's awesome. Somebody will put it in the comments. Someone knows it that I... Or we'll Google it. Anyway. So it's how you're saved, though, right? It was God really mad at us, and he killed Jesus because he was mad, and now he's not mad at us. It's a gross oversimplification of a, a, a kind of salvation theology. But is it? Are we simply stepping outside of the law of God, and the punishment for sin is death, and it's not about anger? How does that work? What are the, the details and the nuance? What verses can we pull from the Old and New Testament to understand the character and nature of God? Uh, to help us understand salvation and our place in it. Going through that, now, what is uh, anthropology? Not secular anthropology study of humans, uh, homo sapiens sapiens, or whatever nonsense they, uh, they put together for it, but theological anthropology. 
what is the nature of human beings in Christian theology, in the Bible, right? And whenever you're Christian theology, you should be thinking, in the Bible. Because if it's not in the Bible, it's not Christian theology. Um, you know, humans are created by God in His image for a purpose, right? Um, to to work and build in this world, to worship God, to reflect His image and nature, all of these things. Um, but you're, what and how much? What verses point to it, right? This is an area, conversation's been going on for a long time, right? Original sin is in this camp. Um, is man originally guilty of sin or originally prone to sin? Or not, not inherently guilty of sin, or prone to sin, but rather is uh, simply following a bad example. That's more towards the side of Nestorianism, uh, which is a, a heresy that got thrown off. But why is it wrong? Why is it a heresy? Right? That's the conversation going on in theological anthropology. That's a big fancy word to couch that field. And then, of course, theology, theology, uh, capital Theo. Logi, the study of God. Is God everywhere? Is God all-powerful? Is He all-knowing? What's going on with that, right? Are there Bible verses where we can find these things that we can put together? What is the logic that goes behind it? All of that comes together for our our theology of God and understanding of God. That's what is what is God, right? Um, the the Trinity falls into this this camp, as well as Christology. There's the overlap. There's uh, pneumatology. That's the Greek word for pneuma, to spirit, breath, or wind. Pneumatology, study of spirit, with the Holy Spirit. How's he fit in? Where are the Bible verses we find that? What is the logic we use to connect those Bible verses, right? How does it all fit together? So, that's a basic of theology, and then I'm going to do a real quick application of when you go to a denominational website, when you go to a church website, because there are a lot of deno- non-denominational Bible churches um, that that won't be a part of a denomination, but they will all have a statement of faith somewhere on their website. It'll be what we believe about us. A statement of faith is the, the uh, common uh, technical terminology for it. And it's literally that church laying out their theology. And you'll have about one sentence on most of the stuff I just listed. Should be about all the stuff I just listed. Um, sometimes they'll put the personal work of Jesus and the nature of the Godhead all together. And then they'll include their the, um, their vision on church, missions, salvation, uh, you know, what it takes to be saved. And then, um, you know, the, the nature of men usually, they'll, they'll have it, sometimes they'll have it condensed into about four or five points. But you'll find, once you know that these areas are out there, you'll be able to read a statement of faith and go, oh, that's their hermeneutic, that's their Christology, that's their ecclesiology, right? that's their mythology, that's, their, that's what they believe about salvation, Jesus, the church, God, man, how it all fits together, right? So you're looking for a statement of faith, um, and uh, the, I already mentioned the Nicene Creed. So my goal for all of this, my entire channel, everything that I do, is simply to encourage people to develop their own personal theology. Um, no, you'll you'll it'll never be concrete. It'll change. If you're you should be learning and growing. That's one of the biggest problems I have with John Calvin. Is at the end of his life, somebody asked, "Hey, 
do you still believe all the stuff you believe as a young man? He said, I've always been right. No, you, you should grow and expand and change your understanding as you, as you learn new things and as you go throughout life. You should always be learning and seeking to expand how you understand the world around you and your Bible and how it all fits together. And so my goal is to simply equip you with the means and to encourage you and develop a hunger for the deeper things of God, for a uh, deepening understanding and uh, always clarifying your own personal theology. Uh, you know, I, I've never in my life sat down and written out a list of Bible verses under each of these bullet points. I just, I have a running tally of what I believe, and you can codify it in some of these areas. And I, I adjust as I read a new Bible verse, or as I hear a new argument, and I reevaluate the verses I'm using, and I make all that fit together better. And uh, it's, it's just areas to know they exist, to know the conversation is bigger and deeper than you. And it's, it's been going on a lot longer. People a lot smarter, who've been around a lot longer, who've read a lot more Greek and Hebrew and ancient stuff, they, they've had a really deep conversations. And so just to be mentally prepared to wade into that. And once again, it's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be some immediate, like, you have to do it all now. Just over time. You know, once a week, pick one idea, one thing, Google it a little bit. Go down the rabbit hole for about 20 minutes and just go, okay, all right, soteriology, all right, meh. And start analyzing what you hear at church and just start being more intelligent about how you listen to sermons and how you read your Bible to go, hey, this verse relates to how people can be saved. That's cool. Boop. Put it away back in your brain. Maybe it comes up later in a conversation. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but the thing is to be moving in a direction. I do not care how fast or how slow you go. I care that you're moving in a direction that is towards the deeper things of God, that is becoming more fluent in Bible, more fluent in some of the original language stuff, right? Um, I think every believer should know how to use a concordance. How quickly you get there doesn't matter. Whether it's 10 minutes or 10 years, whatever. Uh, but be moving in that direction. Be curious. Be hungry. The Just the absolute world of original language study, ancient uh, Greek authors. Like You have so many English translations of all of these ancient deep thinkers and early Christians that you can sit around for an afternoon and read one or two of them and just have some food for thought for a month. And then go read another one some afternoon. Just be thinking, uh, be learning, be growing, and moving in that direction. Developing your personal theology. Because in the end of it all, you have to stand before God and answer for how you lived your life. And I think everybody should be just kind of moseying in the same direction of, you know, let me learn a little more. Uh, you know, don't learn two things and go, oh, I'm good. I don't need to know any else. That's it. I'll just show up. You're the same expository message and three-point call to the altar at the end of the sermon and we're out. Don't, don't stagnate. If you're not growing, you're dying. So just be growing in the right direction, and, uh, and I'll be here to help you out and give you some pointers and give you some basic overview so you have a mental map of the road ahead. And uh, that's all I got for you today. And uh, yes, this is my new hat. My Superman hat was shredded, and I decided to retire it and get a real Superman hat. Uh, for those of you on the podcast, it is a black hat with the word Christ, real big bright letters, 
and it uh, Christ is the number one for the the I because there's one Christ. This hat is from uh, from Wawa Snipes. That's his mark or signature. He is a Jewish, black, deaf, Christian, most importantly, rapper. Uh, who's just fantastic. Warren Snipes, uh, Wawa's World. You should be able to Google him and pull up his stuff. I'll put a link for some of his stuff down there. Um, it's it's just fascinating that such a thing exists. He's uh, he's a friend of the family through through my mom. He's more a friend of my mom, uh, but uh, he's a cool dude. He actually shows up in one season of Black Lightning. I haven't I haven't watched it, but good for him, man. He's doing good. He's doing good work, and he makes an awesome hat. So I'm gonna put some miles on this one until it's tattered and frayed. This is a light, by the way. If any of you have wondered, that's what's on my hat. All right, that's all I have for you. Don't take my word for it. I'll see you next time. Godspeed.